A constitutional think tank for every American concerned about the infringement of our liberties, this is the Federalist Forum. Good morning, and thank you for tuning into the Federalist Forum. I'm your host, Thomas Michael, and I have what I hope you will find to be some really substantial commentary today as we dive into the facts surrounding our country's founding principles. We will rock right into that in a minute, but first, I want to quickly thank everyone who listened to the first episode of this podcast and those who have shared it with others. The real value of my intent in doing this is to keep the story of America alive in a day where radical progressivism is eroding the premise of our liberties, uh, and especially where real American history seems to have been abandoned curriculum in our public schools. Again, thank you for your support. I'm very grateful. The Federalist Papers are a deep and complex series of essays written by three of our founding fathers, uh, as I mentioned in episode one. The great thing is that we don't have to dissect them in order or even touch on each one in their entirety in a single podcast. They are complex and in many cases lengthy writings that beautifully entangle the vision of what America was to become from a multitude of ideals and reflections regarding each of the three branches of our government and how those branches work independently and more importantly how they are supposed to work together. Throughout the continuance of the Federalist Forum, we'll jump around various papers and parts of those papers in a way that highlights the overall intent of these amazingly thorough writings. With that said, if you are in this for the long haul with me, you can easily catch up and understand the material if you miss an episode from time to time. These podcasts are intended to be a deep in content, but relatively brief in, brief in duration. The only one that should preface all others is episode one, for the reason that it sets the perspective for which the Federalist Papers came to be and what their role was in the development of our United States Constitution. And today we're going to jump into Federalist 10, uh, written by James Madison on November 23, 1787. Federalist 10 is arguably among the most important of all of the papers because it establishes the very reason, the, the very intention of our constitutional republic. Along with Federalist 9, Federalist 10 discusses the Union as a safeguard against domestic faction and insurrection, essentially the dangers of political fanaticism if one political ideology were forced upon the whole of a country. Many people out there confuse America with having a democracy, and while we practice some democratic principles, most notably the election of representatives, the framework of our functioning government is a constitutional republic. Perhaps the greatest difference between the two is how laws are enacted. This is a very important distinction as laws ultimately determine societal order and structure. They preserve our rights and ensure that equality prevails. In a direct democracy, laws are made by the voting majority, which leaves the rights of the minority largely unprotected. In a republic, laws are made by representatives chosen by the people. Those laws and representatives must comply with the Constitution, which specifically protects the rights of, minor of the minority from the will of the majority. In a republic, an official set of fundamental laws like our very own Constitution and Bill of Rights prohibits the government from limiting or taking away certain inalienable rights of the people, even if that government was freely chosen by the majority of the people. Conversely, in a direct democracy, the voting majority has almost limitless power over the minority. So what did James Madison say in Federalist 10? One of the most profound paragraphs 
includes this. It says, Complaints are everywhere heard from our most considerate and virtuous citizens, equally the friends of public and private faith and of public and personal liberty, that our governments are too unstable, that the public good is disregarded in the conflicts of rival parties, and that measures are too often decided not according to the rules of justice and the rights of the minor party, but by the superior force of an interested and overbearing majority. Think about that for a minute and how surreally it applies to what we just witnessed with the impeachment of President Trump in the House of Representatives. No matter what one's political leanings are, the majority ignored and even suppressed the will of the minority. That is documented fact. It's black and white. Again, this phrase is powerful. The public good is disregarded in the conflicts of rival parties, and that measures are too often decided not according to the rules of justice and the rights of the minor party, but by the superior force of an interested and overbearing majority. If we were strictly a democracy without the safety net of our Constitution, the president would have had no chance of being acquitted, only because of the toxic partisanship that stood against his policies. That's a very scary thought, and the president's acquittal is perhaps the greatest example of a constitutional republic working in the way it should so that a singular faction cannot impose the will of its full weight on the people. Founders had deep worry about partisan factions. It is for that reason that Madison continues in Federalist 10 to suggest that there are two remedies to the eventuality of rival partisanship. Madison says there are two methods of curing the mischiefs of faction, one by removing its causes and the other by controlling its effects. So he suggests as far as removal of its causes, there are two methods. The one by destroying the liberty which is essential to its existence. The other by giving every citizen the same opinions, the same passions, and the same interests. Madison says it could never, more tru- never be more truly said than of the first remedy that it was worse than the disease. In other words, without liberty, the faction doesn't exist. And without the faction, some measure of liberty cannot exist. It's a lose-lose. He continues to say, in part, the second expedient is as impractical as the first would be unwise. As long as the reason of man continues fallible and he is at liberty to exercise it, different opinions will be formed. As long as the connection subsists between his reason and his self-love, His opinions and his passions will have a reciprocal influence on each other. Madison is addressing the second cause of faction in this statement, that a free people innately have differing opinions and ideals based upon their experiences, upon their passions. So it would be impossible to remove this causation in terms of political factions. Madison states that it is vain to suggest that enlightened statesmen will be able to adjust these clashing interests and render them all subservient to the public good. That enlightened statesmen will not always be at the helm, nor in many cases such an adjustment be made with, at all without taking into view indirect and remote considerations, which will rarely prevail over the more immediate interests uh, which one party may find in disregarding the rights of another or the good of a whole. What Madison concludes in all of this is that the causes of a faction cannot be removed, that the faction is going to grow itself regardless, and it is really impossible to stop that, that the relief to that in a form of government can only be sought in the means of controlling its effects. 
as it pertains to controlling the effects of, of factions or uh, partisanship, if you will, Madison suggests there are only two ways, either the existence of the same passion or interest in a majority at the same time must be prevented, or the majority having such coexistent passion and interests must be rendered by their numbers and local situation unable to concert and carry into effect schemes of oppression. Now, understanding that human beings are subject to impulse and opportunity, Madison astutely states that shared moral and religious motives make it difficult to prevent the spread of certain passions and interests of a majority. And for that reason, he says, quote, from this view of the subject, it may be concluded that a pure democracy, by which I mean a society consisting of a small number of citizens to assemble and administer their governments in person, can admit of no cure for the mischiefs of a faction. A common passion or interest will, in almost every case, be felt by a majority of the whole, a communication and concert result from the form of government itself, and there is nothing to check the inducements to sacrifice the weaker party or an obnoxious individual, end quote. It takes us to Madison's second means of controlling the effects of an overbearing faction or partisanship, and ultimately what would become our form of government. In Federalist 10, Madison says, a republic, by which I mean a government in which the scheme of representation takes place, opens a different prospect and promises the cure for which we are seeking. To the point of differences between a democracy and a republic, as I mentioned near the beginning of this podcast, uh, Madison says the two great points of difference between a democracy and a republic are, first, the delegation of government in a republic to a small number of citizens elected by the rest. Secondly, the greater number of citizens in the greater sphere of the country over which the republic may be extended. This is a profound measure of foresight in the 1700s by Madison because it suggests the very dynamic we see in our society today. As the population grows and spreads, you have a majority party, essentially, with one ideology. And you have a second party, a minority, with a different ideology, whose rights are still protected by a system that averts the mere popular will. The last bit of wisdom I want to share from Federalist 10 uh, is very surreal when you think about where we are at in our political divisions of the 21st century. Madison says of a republic that the effect, on the one hand, is to refine and enlarge the public views by passing them through the medium of a chosen body of citizens whose wisdom may be best to discern the true interests of their country and whose patriotism and love of justice will be least likely to sacrifice it to temporary or partial considerations. Under such a regulation, it may well happen that the public voice, pronounced by the representatives of the people, will be more consonant to the public good than if pronounced by the people themselves convened for that purpose." Now that is where we started as a country. That is where we have fallen so far from. Where we are at now is exactly what Madison foresaw in his very next sentence, the very next short paragraph. He said, on the other hand, the effect may be inverted. Men whose factious tempers of local prejudices or sinister designs may, by intrigue, by corruption, or by other means, first obtain the suffrages, the votes of the people, and then betray the interests of the people. Pretty profound uh, when you read something from more than 250 years ago, really. Uh, 
in hopes of mitigating that, Madison proposes what will later become part of the framework for the two bodies of the United States Congress. And we'll get to those later on in Federalists 54 through 65, really. Uh, But he remarks, however small the republic may be, the representatives must be raised to a certain number in order to guard against the cabals of a few. And in contrast that, however large it may be, they must be limited to a certain number in order to guard against the confusion of a multitude. It's exactly what we have in our what you know, Madison alludes to is what would become our House of Representatives and the Senate, independent bodies of the same branch, working both to represent majority interests but still sustain and protect rights of the minor party at any specific moment in time. My friends, that is where I leave the discussion for now. As you can see, the founders were very thoughtful in their consideration of how our government should principally function in order to preserve the rights and liberties for everybody. Hence, our constitutional republic was born in a way that greatly differed by design and intent from direct democracies. Federalist 10 establishes and becomes the reason for our republic, the most practical and sustainable idea. Ironically, when once asked what kind of government America would have, Benjamin Franklin said, a republic if you can keep it. You've been listening to the Federalist Forum. Thank you for your listenership and for your patriotism as we fight together to preserve the founding principles of our constitutional republic. Until next time, sapientia est potentia. Wisdom is power.